Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. Today's interview is with Kirk Simpson. Kirk is the founder and CEO of Wave Accounting, an integrated online solution designed for small businesses to manage their financial life. Wave has signed up well over a million users and currently serves customers in more than 200 countries around the world. And to date, Wave has raised over $25 million in VC funding. Kirk, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Omer. It's, uh, it's good to be with you. So I've told our audience just a little bit about you. Tell us in your own words a little bit more about you personally, and then give us an overview of your product and business. Sure. So, um, firstly, I, I just celebrated my 40th birthday. So I'm, uh, in some ways older than most, uh, software entrepreneurs. Um, I have three young kids, nine, seven, and four. So I'm sort of juggling both my professional startup life as well as a young family and trying to find the balance there. Um, in terms of wave, we're located in Toronto. We're about 65 team members, um, and, and as you said in the opening, we're, we're really, really focused on micro small businesses, uh, a sector that has been traditionally kind of forgotten about by uh, software providers. Um, they traditionally focus more on the larger enterprises that have, you know, bigger lifetime values. And this has been an audience that's been really hard to go after. Uh, and we think that over the last five years, um, through the cloud, through mobile, through many other, um, uh, for many other reasons, including just distribution on the internet, et cetera, that this is the time to go after it. And we're, we're all really jazzed about the opportunity to help small businesses be more successful. Awesome. And happy birthday for the big four O. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> now, I'm before... not sure if it's a happy moment or what, but you know, <laughs> I've lived through it anyways. Now, before we dive into more details, we'd like to kick things off with a success quote to better understand what drives and motivates our guests. What is one of your favorite success quotes? Well, you know, what's interesting is is just the way that my brain works. I'm, I'm not really a quotes guy. Um, I don't seem to have any memory to uh, remember the ones that I really like. I'm much more of a, of a person who who focuses on having as many conversations as I can with, with interesting people and just taking from those experiences um, as much as I can versus any, any particular quote. So when I saw the question, I, I thought to myself, I could look one up and, and find one, but it, it really hasn't been important in my journey. It's, it's much more important to me anyways, um, where I have live conversations with people and, and get inspiration from them every day. And and that's a great insight. I think it's less about the quote. I think it's more about what drives and motivates you. So it's it's good to know that that you know you have a different perspective on that, and it works for you. Yeah, exactly. So let's start by talking a little bit more about just giving the listeners a better understanding of Wave. You talked about your target customers as being these micro small businesses, these these companies with nine or less employees. Why go after a segment which is pretty much diff you know super difficult to reach? Yeah, I think it's probably you know part of the uh, the entrepreneur's DNA is that um, when you see those kinds of problems, it kind of sparks that feeling of 
there's a massive opportunity there. I think th- there were two reasons in the early days. Um, you know, one primary reason, which was I had done, you know, a, a couple of startups before that never got very big. So I never really uh, broke through that that nine employee threshold. And so, you know, having been the target market, and the only way that I survived during those days was the fact that my sister was was an accountant. And there was certainly no way that I was going to pick up QuickBooks or Simply Accounting or any other product at that particular time and actually use it. Um, I, I knew in my, you know, just as I interacted with the product that this, this was a, a product that was not built for me. It was built for an accountant bookkeeper or a VP finance or somebody with that headspace. And out of that, um, you know, myself and my co-founder, James Lockery, um, he had been in the, the business of, of tax for 15 years uh, in the software uh, side of that business. And we just, we knew that there was an opportunity to, to build something that the market could really benefit from. And then when you looked at the size of the market, you know, there's 30 million of these micro small businesses in North America. And into its own research at the time said close to 70% of them use sh- uh, shoebox, shoeboxes, spreadsheets, and Word docs. And so out of that, we just looked at that and said, there has to be a better way of doing this. Things like bank feeds that Mint pioneered um, and other automated type tools, uh, we felt made this the time for this type of tool to be built. You know, I've never met anybody who's told me that they love QuickBooks. In fact, in fact, I've never met anybody who says they love accounting software. Um, 100%. So what were, in your mind, some of the top pain points that you were trying to solve for these people, apart from just, I guess, they really don't want to use any of this software, right? I mean, it's it's yeah. more of a headache for them. Yeah, absolutely. So, So the macro sort of thought process was, Imagine if there was a tool that attempted to to do as much heavy lifting as possible, and and by that I mean you know bring it bring in the the bank feeds so that there's no manual entry of transactions, you know allow for you to take photos of your receipts with your iPhone and OCR them so that they automatically come in, make the invoicing process as seamless as possible, make it easy to get paid. It's those task based things that typically small business owners think about. They think about how can I get paid faster? How can I be you know, better prepared for tax time so that it's not a you know, three weeks of my life that I dread every year? And, and knowing through that process that because you've left it all to the last minute, you've probably forgotten or lost some of the receipts or deductions. So you're paying more tax than you're supposed to. So it, it, it was really the, the macro thinking of, Let's look at each of the tasks and try and make them as simple as possible using technology. And then the thought process that if you could do that, imagine how much better the small business owner would feel and, and the insight that they would have into their business every single day versus not knowing until the end of the year whether or not you were profitable, how you did, did you make money, did you not – um, are, do you have a huge tax liability on your hands? There's a, you know, you're absolutely right that you will never talk to a small business owner who's passionate about, you know, doing accounting, but you will absolutely talk to almost every small business owner who has some degree of fear in their eyes about, you know, am I doing well enough? Do I owe a huge, a, a whole bunch of tax? 
that I haven't factored in? Do I have uh, capital to expand? You know, hire another person, uh, increase the square footage of my shop. You know, all of those kinds of things. Those are the things that we want to solve for them. Okay, Kirk. Let's take uh, a journey back to the early days and talk a little bit more about how you got started. So you talked a little bit about where the idea for wave accounting came from. What did you do next? Yeah, good question. So, so we started to to build software, um, and you know, it was a very early alpha version of of the software that we have today. And we started to try and find users to use it, and we really actively watched and talked to those customers to understand. You know how they were interacting the system with the system. What did they like? What did they not like? All of the traditional things that have become, you know, so well described now with with the lean startup and and other books of that type. But at the time, you know, I don't think the there was as much information as there is today about how to do it. So we made plenty of mistakes and and um, you know built some software that we had to throw out and all of those kinds of things. But really through the alpha process, it was about, you know, how are we going to get these people who don't like this type of software? How are we going to build software that they actually like? And so that was really where we were focused for the first probably six or eight months. Did you bootstrap the business or did you seek funding to start things off? Um, we bootstrapped it. My, my co-founder, James, put in most of the money at the beginning, um, but it was he and I who funded the business well before we did a uh, a friends and family raise and then a and then an angel raise okay and so when you started building this first version of the product did you start hiring people or were you were you just looking for contractors to help you build the product what was the process there yeah so we we did rely on contractors um you know james wrote all of the specs um given his background um but he knew that that his uh, engineering skills were not in the new sort of open source languages, and so he really focused his time on um, just delivering specs for the developers. Um, but we used mostly contractors until such time as we had done uh, our friends and family round, and then began to hire people full time. Okay, so you've got this product, and you said you had to throw out a couple of versions. Uh, through you know through that process yeah just you know continuing to evolve it yes um you know a lot of our alpha version is is not part of what we've we've got today um you know the game really changed with bank feeds etc and so that wasn't built into the initial prototype and therefore when when we did go to build kind of the beta version um we threw out a lot of the early alpha product Okay. And what did you learn when you started getting feedback from people? Well, yeah, you know. good good question. I mean, the the first thing that I can say is that I don't know whether every entrepreneur suffers from this, but I, I sometimes have a hard time remembering what, what my world was like 12 months ago, let alone four or five years, right? Um, I should have done a better job of documenting it, but uh, but I didn't. So, you know, I think the macro lessons that I do remember are that that we we ran up against you know head on some of the challenges that we knew going in like how do we get these guys engaged in this in this tool how do we make it easy enough for them to want to use it how do we 
make sure that they find, um, you know, hidden nuggets of, of insight on their business very early on in the process so that it justified the, the work that they were putting in to keep the data up to date. I think those were the biggest things that we were really trying to combat at that time. And also, you know, we weren't sure whether or not we were going to go free or we were going to go paid. We've ended up, uh, we ended up deciding that we really believe in the free model. Um, and so we were learning about that through the process as well. So those were the key things I think was how do we onboard these guys? How do we understand how to deliver value from the software with as few, you know, entries as possible so that they saw a golden path of if they kept this system up to date, what were the insights that they'd get? It was those kinds of challenges we were really trying to flush out. Now, there's no shortage of accounting software out there. And as you mentioned earlier, a lot of your potential customers weren't using any accounting software. So how were you trying to position Wave in the early days to differentiate yourselves? Yeah, great question. So I think I think that is it really comes down to two things. One is um, there is a... Uh, uh, a very noticeable difference in everything that they do between these micro small businesses that I described at the beginning and even a slightly larger business. And so getting to know those customers, how they think, what other software they use, um, you know, what's their day-to-day look like in their business, all that kind of stuff was very, very key to building a product that was very specific for them. The other thing was, um, if you look at the history of most accounting software, um, not that many people study the, <laughs> the history of accounting <laughs> software, but, but if you did, you would see that most of them start off as being very focused on, on the business owner themselves and then quickly, uh, you know, and or over time start evolving to be focused on the accountant, bookkeeper, VP finance. And there's a reason for that because, they found over time that the majority of their users or the people who were the stickiest were the, that segment of customers. And so when an accountant or bookkeeper submits a ticket on something that they want versus a, a, a typical, you know, very small business owner, it's usually the accountant bookkeeper's request that would get prioritized. And therefore, you take in what, in my view, was a racehorse of, you know, QuickBooks when it first came out, very focused on the business owner and turns into a camel over time because it starts to have to uh, deliver what an accountant bookkeeper wants, which is very fundamentally different than what a small business owner wants. And so we early on in our process said, we are focused on the small business owner and we will deliver uh, the product that the small business owner needs. And if an accountant or bookkeeper needs something and it doesn't value, it doesn't provide value to the small business owner, we're not doing it. And so, um, you know, I think it was those two focuses on really knowing your customer and then having a deep level of prioritization against that customer and not allowing ourselves to be swayed by accountants, bookkeepers who are very traditional in their thinking. I think those two things have have heavily influenced the product development. Now, you launched the product in 2010. And from what I understand, by the end of 2010, you had your first thousand customers. What did you do to go and acquire those first thousand customers? 
Yeah. To, so to give you the timeline, we we launched the product. You know, after the early alpha that I had described earlier, we we actually launched the product right near the end of 2010, and uh, probably November 15th or something like that, if my memory serves me. And you know, as we closed out 2010 and and um, and started off in 2011, yeah, we had approximately that or more um, initial signups, and. You know, I look at it and I say, um, you know, how did we get that early, you know, very early traction? I think we just, you know, because my my background is in media, because Rob Morin, one of our earliest employees' background was in media, you know, we we had we had years of of um, good training around how you know media early media internet sites got traction through through SEO, through, um, you know, being written about on blogs, all of those kinds of things, you know, media, how do we get other PR or, um, you know, media write-ups to write about us? So I think we just, we laid a really good, solid foundation, um, and got some, some, you know, pretty reasonable early traction. And then I'll tell you a very quick story. Um, it was early 2011, and I think this speaks to, you know, what I believe strongly in, which is, you know, some of this just, just comes down to pure luck. Um, so in early 2011, we saw that the Google Chrome store was going to launch. And uh, we thought, wow, this is really interesting. The Chrome browser is getting more and more penetration. Um, we love the users who are on the Chrome browser versus IE. Um, anybody who's been in web development knows that, you know, IE users are not your favorite users because of the browser. Um, and so we thought to ourselves, well, this new Google Chrome store looks interesting. Let's spend the two hours, um, building a very easy integration with the Chrome store. Let's pay the $5, literally $5 to, to, uh, to put your app on the, the, uh, the Google Chrome store. And let's see what happens. And so we launch it. And, uh, you know, if my memory serves me, it's March 2011 or so. And um, at the time, similar to the old Hotmail story, James and I were getting emails every time somebody signed up for Wave. And, you know, on those days where you'd get 20 or 30, you'd be like, all right, this is starting to go. And all of a sudden, I woke up one morning. It was a Saturday morning. I'll remember this for the rest of my life. I go downstairs. Seven o'clock in the morning, my my oldest child now just woke up. I open my computer and I've, I'm seeing reams and reams of signups. And it turns out that just complete luck that the editor of the Google Chrome store, you know, decided to feature us. And, you know, a couple of years later, we're at, you know, 210,000 installs from the Google Chrome store. And, you know, it was really just quite frankly, luck that got us there. Now, this wasn't you guys doing any development to create some kind of add-on for Chrome. This was this was you listing your existing web app within the Chrome store. Is that right? Exactly right. And, and it was, you know, you had to do a, a tiny bit of sort of integration, but it was very lightweight. And so it allowed us to sort of say, yeah, let's take a shot on this because it's not weeks of development. It's, you know, literally a couple of hours. Now, I looked at your growth trajectory. And so, you know, 2010, 1,000 customers. By the end of 2011, 100,000. By end of 2012, you're approaching 500,000. And now you're at over a million users. 
Now, that's pretty impressive growth. Aside from the Chrome store, what else were you doing to, to get that kind of growth so fast? Um, we were really um, focused on being anywhere that our target market was looking. And what I mean by that is the, the Chrome store was a, a good example. The Google Apps Marketplace, another good example. Um, you know, very, very focused on SEO and, and making sure that we were doing all the best stuff there. Um, a lot of work on, you know, homepage conversion um, and, you know, A, B, C, D, E, testing that. Um, you know, lots of work at looking at, you know, do we want custom landing, landing pages for different search terms? You know, we just, we were, we've been through our history, you know, we knew that if you were going to go after the small business marketplace, the micro small business marketplace, that, you know, the majority of companies that have gone after this market have sort of died on the side of the road because they couldn't figure out an acquisition model that made sense. Um, and, and because the, the lifetime value of these customers is always going to be much lower than a medium sized business. They're going to churn at a higher rate. And so if you can't figure out how to acquire them at a, at a reasonable rate in a high enough volume that you weren't going to make it work. And so it was always, you know, a core focus of ours to make sure that we were, you know, always optimizing the top of the funnel and, and being where small business owners were, were looking for our type of software and then managing and nurturing those relationships. Got it. So with this kind of growth also, I guess, comes a lot of growing pains. Can you give me some examples of, of the types of, of growing pains or challenges that you've faced as, as this business grew so quickly? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I would point to a couple of things. Um, number one was um, we grew the size of the team too fast, too early. Um, and where it really hit home for me was you know, it got to a point where we were, um, you know, upwards of, of 80 people having added probably, you know, 50 in a, in a, um, a six month type time span, maybe longer, but, but you get the idea. And, um, I looked around and I thought to myself, um, you know, the processes and process is a bad word for a startup, but it's very important. I've come to learn, um, our processes of, you know, hiring the right people, um, communication within the company, communication within the teams, um, management, management capabilities, all of those kinds of things had not scaled with, um, with our hiring. And, you know, I know a lot of, of companies in the Valley have grown, you know, a lot faster uh, than we have. And, and I'm sure that they suffered some of this and, and some of them just powered through it and, and figured it out. But we decided we needed to take a step back before we could take another step forward. And so that process of having grown too fast um, was painful um, because, you know, there is nothing like um, sort of a round of, of right sizing or downsizing to really take some of the, the steam out of the team. Um, and so I wish I hadn't have done that. I wish I hadn't have grown that fast. I wish I had have, you know, focused more on um, making sure that we were 
truly in all capabilities ready for that amount of, uh, of people joining the team. So that was the first thing. The second thing is, um, I think in hindsight, you know, we, we went too broad with our product too quickly. Um, and, and I think that's a, a mistake a lot of us probably make, you know, it's prioritization is a massive challenge as a startup. When you have as many customers as we do, who are, who are, you know, telling you that they need X, Y, and Z, um, it's very hard to, to prioritize that list. And I think the natural reaction probably is to, is to listen to too much of it and, and build out your product too quickly. So I think those two things were where we ran into um, sort of growing pains. And some of the things that, that you know, I've now learned as an entrepreneur are really important to watch for. Okay, Kirk. So we started this conversation by going back to where the idea for Wave came from. And then we've taken this journey together on how you turn that idea into a successful product. Let's talk a little bit about the business as it is today. Now, when did you reach a million users? Uh, a couple of months ago. Congratulations. That's a huge milestone. Thank you. Are you able to disclose revenue numbers? I'm not. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about how you're generating revenue at the moment. Sure. It's a it's a free business, a free product. But what are you doing behind that to to try and generate revenue? Yeah, absolutely. So on our free product, um, we have ads in the system. So we we generate, you know, a, a reasonable amount of money through advertising. Um, but more importantly, um, for both us and for our customers, we are also um, focused on bringing out products that that uh, can generate revenue for wave and also help our customers so an example of that is payroll uh, where we are helping our customers uh, pay their employees all through the same system and the second is um, on helping them collect payment on their invoices more quickly and so we are um, facilitating the payment on those invoices and generating revenue through through that process as well so you can kind of think of us as as a software plus transactions company, and on those transactions we generate revenue. And so, looking back, do you think that that was the right model for you to have chosen? Do Do you think that that was one of the big drivers for to help you get to where you are today? I do believe that's the case. Um, I think obviously. Um, you know, anyone who, who chooses to go the free route, um, you know, they, they need to have a very good sense of how they're going to generate revenue, um, obviously, especially in the, you know, non-consumer um, software space. Um, and, and also, I think it's important for people who are looking to go free to understand that free is not a pass for a product that's not as good as your competitors. They, you know, customers, your best customers who want to use your software, you know, thoroughly are going to put it through its, its uh, paces and they're going to compare you to a paid product either way. So free is not a, um, it's, it, it, it doesn't overcome a bad product. And I think it's important for people to really understand that. What's the one thing in your business that you're most excited about right now? 
Um, so it, it very much um, uh, ties to sort of the, the growing pains we discussed. Um, what I'm most excited about is the, um, the level of management discipline that we've built into the company in order to really mature the type of company that we are and, and how we do things. And that doesn't sound very sexy, but, um, you know, I can tell you for sure for me, and this is an opinion of one, I don't know whether or not others are in the same boat, but, you know, going into this entrepreneurial journey, I certainly didn't think that I would be excited about, you know, uh, maturing our management processes, but, (laughs) but I can tell you that, um, I think it's just absolutely key. I think it's, it's the, it's quite frankly, the difference between the companies that make it and the companies that don't. I mean, obviously there's other factors, but, but I think one of the most important factors is, you know, as a management team, are you good at what you do? Do you run your business with, with discipline? Um, do does everybody clearly understand what success looks like? You know, all of those kinds of things for us, it took us a while to, to sort of mature those processes. But quite frankly, it's, it's the thing that I'm most excited about today. And, and, and the other way of looking at it is it's really the only way that a startup entrepreneur is going to get any sort of life work balance is, you know, if there's people around you that you trust and that you can empower to, to really run key aspects of the business where, you know, whether you're involved or not, the business is going to do great things. And and that's a great place to be. Yeah, I think there are, there are a lot of studies out there. And and from my own personal experiences as well is when you look at, you know, why employees leave companies, the number one reason is often is they hated their manager. Yeah. And, and a lot of the times it's because either that, that manager was, was pushed into a managerial role before they were ready or, Quite often there isn't, there isn't the, the support system around that manager to, to help them be successful at their job. I completely agree. And, and we have a long way to go on it, but, um, but you know, that's, that's a, it's such an important journey. Yeah. Not sexy, but super important. Exactly right. All right, Cook, it's time for our lightning round. I'm going to ask you a series of questions and I'd like you to answer them as quickly as possible. Are you ready? Yes. Great. Let's go. What's the best piece of business advice that you've ever received? So it's, um, it's not one thing. Um, when I, when people ask me for my advice, I, I, I make sure to tell them this is an opinion of one. Um, I have really focused on having, you know, hundreds of conversations with other startup entrepreneurs and other people that I respect. And so, you know, I amalgamate all of that those opinions and sort of form my own out of it. So it's not really one thing that I can point to, to be honest. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? I think what's going around right now and is, and has made the rounds in, in our office in a big way is um, the hard thing about hard things by Ben Horowitz. Um, Phenomenal, phenomenal book in terms of his level of candor um, in the early stages of the book. And then some of the really interesting, you know, pieces of advice that he gives through the book. Um, first of all, a really quick and easy read. And secondly, um, I just thought it was a, a fascinating, well-written, uh, book. 
What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur? Uh, the ability to um, pull yourself up from the knocks that um, will happen every other day, shake yourself off and, uh, and believe that you can do it despite the world at times telling you it's going to be really difficult. Um, so, you know, you could almost sum that up as being just, you know, you have to be a very positive person. You have to be able to take those, those negative aspects of what's going to happen along the way and, and, you know, find the positive out of them. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? Um, that when I'm in a funk, I get up, I walk around the office, I talk to people, I feed off of their energy, enthusiasm, and innovation, and, uh, and it pulls me out of my doldrum every time. If you had to start over tomorrow, what type of business would you go and build? Um, to be honest, I, I would, I would take on this space because I think it's, uh, there are so very few large opportunities out there. Um, I think this is such a, a huge opportunity. I, I really, I think I'd take on this one again. What's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? Well, interestingly, we do this at our town halls when we introduce new people and um, to the company, and, and it's been fascinating to listen to people's stories. It's it's a great icebreaker. For me, um, I think everybody here in our company uh, views me as being this kind of serious person who's very focused on the goal at hand, and I think you know they wouldn't really be able to visualize the fact that you know I like to goof around more than the next guy. Um, I've got a bit of a, um, an adrenaline junkie in me. So I've, I've pretty much done all of the adrenaline sports and, uh, I guess a quick, quick fun fact is, um, I rolled an ATV off the side of a mountain in the Rocky mountains, um, and survived to tell the story. Wow. And finally, what is one of your most important passions outside of your work? It's such an overused cliche, I think, but, um, I think the thing that I'm most passionate about most passionate about right now is is um just uh you know getting home being with my kids uh as I said they're 9 7 and 4 and really trying to learn how to um you know leave the day to day behind and be in the moment with them and just enjoy this age it's a pretty remarkable age that they're at and um and sort of get into their headspace because it's very very different than the headspace I'm at during the day. But when I get there, it's, um, it's a great place to be. All right. Those are great answers. Kirk, I want to thank you for joining me today and, and talking about Wave. I really appreciate you sharing your experiences and your insights with our audience. And, and thank you for letting us get to know you a little bit better personally. I appreciate the opportunity. If folks want to find out more about Wave or they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. So Wave is at waveappsapps.com or you can find us in the in the app store with our invoice by Wave product that just came out. In terms of me personally, I can be found on Twitter at, at TK Simpson. And uh, you can reach out to me on email at Kirk K-I-R-K at waveapps.com. Awesome. Thanks again, Kirk, and I wish you continued success in the future. Thanks very much, Omar. Cheers.